Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to Off the Bench. I'm so glad you guys have joined me. Today is Mailbox Monday. And you know what that means? That means I'm going to answer your questions. This day is an important day here at Mailbox Monday because I'm going to jump into a little bit of doctor. We're going to talk about baptism and Bible translations, a couple of things that people tend to argue about, but that I believe can be squarely talked about in scripture. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys, so good morning to everybody who's tuning in all across the world. And for those of you who are taking a shower, I'm happy to meet you guys up today and talk a little bit about the Bible. We have a really great thing going on at the podcast. And before I jump into your questions, I just want to say again how thankful I am that you allow me to come into your living rooms and into your cars. And I I hear from you all the time, you know, uh, children who are listening to this show. And I'm really glad because uh, we need to have conversations about the Word of God and about how to apply it to every aspect of our lives. Occasionally, I get questions here that have to do with doctrine, and some of them are denominational differences and denominational issues. One of those I'm going to speak on today because I happened to answer a listener question last week, and it and it uh, ruffled the feathers of a certain member of a denomination of a church that would disagree with my position. It's important for me to, I guess, start out this show by saying, I think that there are issues. Why are there denominations in our churches? Let's just start there. We have denominations in our churches because good people disagree on certain things in scripture. Now, to be a member of the church of God, in other words, and I'm I'm not talking about a denomination, I'm saying to be a believer, To be born again, there are certain things that we cannot disagree on, right? We cannot disagree on the Trinity. We cannot disagree on what constitutes salvation. There are some things that I believe that good Christians uh, can disagree on. And some of those things are related to music. A lot of them are style. We've talked about this before at the show. Sometimes uh, there are denominations that believe that women can only wear dresses and skirts. There are denominations that hold to different traditions. And we can disagree on those things. And one of them I'm going to tackle today has been a a fairly divisive issue within the church. And so I'm going to start by reading this question. And again, this is how I view, I'm going to give you my answer, how I view God's word on this particular topic. Uh, And so this one I'm going to start from uh, Carrie in Alaska. Uh, Thank you for writing in, Carrie. She said, Heidi, let me start by saying I love your podcast so much that my children can mimic you in the opening credits, but I'm saddened to hear your understanding of the scriptures to be lacking. But as a Church of Christ member and a Christ follower, I am amazed at your comment, quote, the church doctrine believes baptism is a part of salvation. I'm not an eloquent speaker uh, or as knowledgeable in the scriptures as I would like. However, it's clear from the scriptures that baptism is an important step from God's doctrine, not man-made church for salvation. And there are many examples of why I understand your stance as I've heard it all my life. My simple answer is God's grace is sufficient, but the scriptures are clear and the example of Jesus is clearly as important as your obedience since nothing I can do can compare to Jesus' sacrifice nor make up for my sins. But baptism washes away the old and places the Holy Spirit in me. So my obedience is essential to the scriptures, not church doctrine. To God and his doctrine, we are called to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live as Christ. Okay, so wow. So 
uh, Carrie, I have quite a bit of experience with the Church of Christ. And listen, let me just say, uh, this is not me knocking what you believe. I believe that you're wrong, but I think that I don't uh, I don't believe that your view of baptism is going to keep you from being a Christian. And it saddens me to think that someone in another denomination would think that about me. So we're going to talk about this for just a minute because it's an important topic and it's something that we've talked about in my family for many years. And so, and I'm going to link back to some articles, but I want to start with just saying uh, the baptism, I agree with you, it's not a personal choice simply. It is a command for believers. And Jesus established water baptism as an ordinance and uh, he gave us the great commission, right? In Matthew chapter 28 and in Mark 16. So first of all, you got to understand what water baptism is. So what are we talking about? For those of you who are new to the show or maybe you're new to Christianity, what is water baptism? Well, it's a public outward testimony that indicates a personal inward faith. And so it's giving evidence of an inner change. It's it's me getting up in front of a lot of people, hopefully, and uh, saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I am affirming something that has already taken place in my life. Uh, When I was born again through my faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible teaches us that we should be baptized. It indicates that uh, we want to follow Jesus. Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28, verse 19. And because we love the Lord, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And throughout the book of Acts, we read how the early church gave importance to water baptism. And I believe that it's important for all believers in Jesus to be baptized uh, as as a obedience, out of obedience to Christ, all right? And so we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it a Christian baptism. There are other uh, faiths that that engage in baptism, but we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you uh, go down into the water, you indicate uh, you're dying to your sin and you're raised again in Christ. And it really is the symbolism that is so uh, important in the church, and it's the obedience to what God's asked us to do. But the Bible clearly teaches that we are saved through grace alone, through faith. Uh, that's what Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine tell us. We are saved according to God's mercy. That's Titus chapter three, verse five. The thief on the cross next to Jesus did not have any time to be baptized. And yet Jesus promised him that he was gonna be with him in paradise that very day. And that story can be found in Luke chapter 23. The Bible contains no record of Jesus baptizing anyone, which is a strange omission if baptism is essential for salvation. And the apostle Paul declared, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. I believe that this clearly indicates that salvation is a response to faith in the gospel and not the act of baptism. And therefore, water baptism is not an act of salvation. It is an act of obedience. And I think it's important, you know, we we talk a lot uh, here at the show about the importance of studying the scriptures. And again, there are good people that uh, see this differently. But I just really believe that if water baptism was necessary for salvation, we would expect to find it stressed wherever the gospel is presented in scripture. And that is simply not the case. Uh, Peter mentioned baptism in his sermon at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. However, in his sermon from Solomon's portico in the temple in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 12, Peter makes no reference to baptism, but links forgiveness of sin to repentance. And so if baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sin, why would Peter not stress that 
in Acts chapter 3. Peter never made water baptism a part of his gospel presentations, either in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 or in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul gave a concise summary of the gospel message that he preached with no message uh, or mention, rather, of baptism. Paul, in fact, stated, quote, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And this clearly differentiates the gospel again from baptism. Uh, There are some passages that are difficult to understand if water baptism is necessary for salvation. So if baptism were part of the gospel itself, necessary for salvation, what good would it have done Paul to preach the gospel, but not to baptize? No one would have been saved. Paul clearly understood that water baptism was separate from the gospel and in no way uh, necessary for salvation. And so, I mean, I could go on and on. I'm going to link back to a couple of these things in the show notes today, but here's my bottom line answer to your question. I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that faith precedes baptism. I believe that faith precedes it. And when we see that we're justified Uh, in scripture at the very first act of genuine faith in Christ, then baptism follows as an act of obedience and preferably would follow soon as an outward expression of an inward reality, something that's changed in us uh, inwardly. And so all of our children, we have um, been, in fact, our youngest is being baptized in just about a week and a half. And we're very excited about that. And we want our kids to follow that example and walk that out in obedience. But we have not taught our children that baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sin, as we believe that salvation is not uh, has nothing to do with works at all. And Christian baptism illustration, I think it's an amazing uh, uh, illustration, right? In pretty much dramatic style, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ And at the same time, it also illustrates, as I said in the beginning, our death to sin and our new life in Christ. So as the sinner confesses the Lord Jesus, he dies to sin, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 11, and is raised a brand new person and has a brand new life, according to Colossians chapter 2. So being submerged in the water represents death to sin, and emerging from the water represents a cleansed, holy life that follows salvation. In Romans chapter six, verse four, we read this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God, the father, we too may live a new life. So I thank you for the question. Again, uh, you know, I, this is my understanding of scripture and this is the way I've always taught it as I've been at women's uh, conferences when I'm asked to teach on baptism, which frankly isn't very often. But as I answered that question of a young girl a couple of weeks ago, I had a hunch that that was from the Church of Christ because this is one of the teachings that the Church of Christ adheres to. So we simply disagree. And I really thank you for uh, for being willing to write to me, Carrie. I appreciate that. The next question comes in from a listener in uh, in Alabama. So first we had Carrie in Alaska and now we have Karen in Alabama. I thought this was a great way to pick it because both K's in both states that start with A. You guys know my love for alliteration. She said, Heidi, I was glad to hear you talk about the inerrancy of scripture as I've struggled with this also. Uh, I do believe that God's word was perfect and all original scriptures are God breathed. The part I'm struggling with is all the translations. We've seen in real time the adding and deleting of scriptures based on the different source texts. And as versions like the Amplified Version seem to add a lot of assumptions in meaning, I see these different translations and proposals for more inclusive translations. Woo, I don't like that word inclusive. 
and read Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19, where the Bible stresses that we are not to add to God's word. And I wonder why is this warning here if the word cannot be changed? Are the current Bibles inerrant or was it just the original writings that were God-breathed? Which Bibles can we trust? I'm gonna answer this question, but first we're gonna take a quick break. Are you in the market for a new mattress? Well, you can get the best sleep you've ever had with the MyPillow two-sided coil quilted mattress. My husband and I tried it out last year for the first time, and I am here to tell you it has been my favorite mattress that we have ever owned. This mattress comes with a 10-year warranty and a six-month money-back guarantee, so you don't have anything to lose. Better than that, you can get a massive discount right now by going to the radio listener special page at MyPillow.com and using the promo code Heidi. That's H-E-I-D-I. Or call 1-800-447-0541. I want to thank you guys so much for supporting MyPillow. Your support of MyPillow not only helps an American company, but it also supports this podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So thank you guys for coming back. These are some pretty, you guys are sending me in some meaty questions and I really appreciate the opportunity to to address them with you here at the podcast. It shows me that you wanna grow, that you uh, are interested in what God's word has to say. And frankly, just even if we disagree on certain things, uh, the fact that we want to study God's word to, as the apostle Paul said, show ourselves as approved workmen who do not need to be ashamed, who can rightly handle God's word. This was the apostle Paul and his exhortation to young Timothy and saying, hey, Timothy, this is really important, dude. You want to study God's word. And so uh, I appreciate you guys sending me this, these uh, these letters. I'm going to take you to an article. So I looked up uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, who is uh, John MacArthur, and he has a wonderful answer to the question on translations. And if, there are actually a lot of them throughout uh, many, many uh, wonderful teachers and speakers uh, Jack Hibbs also, by the way, has a wonderful uh, statement on baptism, and I will link back to that in the show notes today. But listen to what John MacArthur said with regard to Bible translations. He said, the common question of which Bible translation to use is very important. It concerns the most important words ever spoken, which are the words of God, the creator. It's crucial to understand at the outset that behind each version is a fundamental philosophy of Bible translation. You want to make sure the version that you use reproduces in your own language what God actually said. Now, the reason that I looked for John MacArthur's point of view on this, A, I knew generally what he would say, but B, I also know what high regard he holds scripture to. And that's really what he's saying here when he talks about Bible translations. He says, you can separate modern Bible translations into two basic groups, formal equivalency and dynamic equivalency. Formal equivalency attempts a word-for-word rendition, providing as literal a translation as possible. Dynamic equivalency is more like a paraphrase trying to convey ideas by a thought. So paraphrase would be the living Bible. A paraphrase would be... um, the message, right? Uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. These are not Bibles that I would ever use for teaching. 
Uh, since no language, since no one language corresponds perfectly to any other language, every translation involves some degree of interpretation. A translation based on formal equivalency has a low degree of interpretation because translators are trying to convey the meaning of each particular word. When faced with a choice between readability and accuracy, formal equivalency translators are willing to sacrifice readability for the sake of accuracy. This is really where we get these different translations, particularly the ones that paraphrase like the Living Bible, which was given to me when I was a a child. But my grandfather, who was a pastor, was very quick to point out, this really is just for you to read and enjoy. But when you really want to study the word of God in all of its nuance and make sure that we are understanding to handle the word of God, as Paul instructed Timothy, uh, we want to be sure that we are reading a Bible that is based on a very high degree of interpretation. So by its very nature, a translation that's based on a dynamic equivalency requires a high degree of interpretation. The goal of dynamic equivalency is to make the Bible readable conveying an idea-for-idea rendering of the original. And that means someone must first decide what is being communicated, which is the very act of interpretation. How the translators view scripture becomes very important in the final product. This is the most important thing that John MacArthur says here. Sadly, there are many in the Bible translation industry who have a very low view of scripture. They think the Bible is merely a product of man, replete with mistakes and contradictions and personal biases. Many translators today have also adopted the postmodern idea of elevating an experience of the reader over the intention of the author. We see this in worship services, right, in churches all around the world when we are really focused on emotion, we're focused on the experience rather than listening to and being guided by the Holy Spirit. They make the contemporary reader sovereign over the text and demote the intended meaning of the historic human writers who were carried along by one divine author, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. So let me read that for you really quickly. So we have the prophetic word, made more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in, dar- in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, they're, they're saying, listen, this is the Holy Spirit that's been guiding us along. Uh, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit and spoke from God. And so their, their claim is these words are the inspired word of God. And this is why translations are so important. The most, dy- the most popular dynamic equivalency translations which dominate the evangelical world are the NIV, which is the New International Version, uh, today's NIV, the Message, the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, the New Living Translation. Um, and of those, I agree with MacArthur here also, the NIV is the most reliable. The, the, in other words, uh, he would say it's the easiest to read, right? Because it, it was really written for readability. But of those, of the message, uh, the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, the New Living Translation, the NIV, he believes, is the most reliable. The NIV was completed in 1978. Its translators did not attempt to translate strictly word for word, but aim more for equivalent ideas. And as a result, the NIV doesn't follow the exact wording of the original Greek and Hebrew texts as closely as the King James and the New American Standard Bible versions do. Nevertheless, 
it can be considered a faithful translation of the original text, and its lucid readability makes it quite popular, especially for devotional reading. The most popular formal equivalency translations, so now we're talking about a word-for-word translations, are uh, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version, or the ESV. The King James Version is the oldest of the four and continues to be a favorite for many. Uh, And the NASB, completed in 1971 and updated in 1905, is a revision of the American Standard Version of 1901. It is a literal translation from the Hebrew and Greek languages that incorporates the scholarship of several centuries of textual criticism conducted since the KJV. Uh, It quickly became a favorite translation for serious Bible study. So which translation is best to use? Even John MacArthur says the choice is up to you. Each of the formal equivalency versions has strengths and weaknesses, but they are reliable translations of the Bible. If you want to read a dynamic equivalency translation, Again, this is uh, John MacArthur. He believes that the NIV is the most reliable. Ideally, and I'm going to end on this today because I thought this was, again, I read a lot of articles before I came onto the show today to talk about this. And this was, uh, I thought, the, the very best one. Ideally, as a serious student of scripture, you should become familiar enough with concordances, word study aids, and conservative commentaries so that even Without a thorough knowledge of the original languages, you can explore the nuances and meaning that arise out of the original texts. There's some really great books on scripture and uh, the reliable that have reliable over overviews of scripture. The Canon of Scripture by F. F. Bruce, How to Choose a Bible Translation by Robert Thomas, and uh, I'm going to send. I'm going to put some of these in the show notes today. So if you want more information on these you guys can get to it. So thank you guys so much for sending your questions in. Uh, I realize that there is some disagreement among the listenership here, and that's all right with me. Um, I'm going to continue to to, uh, speak from a position that I believe to be true, and I'm going to back it up with scripture, and we're going to just grow together. So I appreciate you guys listening. If you've got any questions that you would like me to address, shoot them to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. I hope you guys have a great day. Love on your people today. Invest in what matters and spend some time in the Word of God. And I will see you at MomStrong International and back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.